message this morning is called Family Matters. Family Matters. Um, for those of you who don't know, I've got five children, and so I've got a little bit of experience when it comes to um, raising kids um, and staying married. And um, so hopefully I can share a little bit of wisdom, and also, of course, we're going to draw upon the Word of God because that's our source of wisdom, it's the Word of God. And so, um, let me start by saying raising children can be confusing, to say the least. We spend two years teaching a child to walk and talk, and then 18 years trying to teach them how to sit down and be quiet. It's also very challenging. A mother of three unruly preschoolers was asked whether she should have children, uh, sorry, whether she would have children if she could do it all over again. She responded, sure, just not the same three. <laughs> and uh, those of us who have kids probably can relate to that. So parenting will test us, it challenges us, it stretches us. But in spite of it all, we would not do it any other way. We embrace it because we know the value of family. And there are many different ways in today's culture to raise a family. But for those of us who are Christian, the way that we want to raise our families is based on the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the source, as I said. It's the foundation for every family. It's the, it's the book that we can rely on and we can trust in. And so I just want to read firstly from Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. It should be on the screen. There we are. So it says, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and doeth them, I'll liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And also Psalms 127 and verse 1, it says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. And so we want to build our families upon the solid rock, the word of God. We want to build our house upon the rock so that when the storms of life will come, and even though we're building upon the rock, the storms of life do still come, but we will stand on firm, solid ground. And so we could say there's a lot of different um, guidance and a lot of different methods and different ways out there in the world, but this scripture tells us if we dare leave the Lord out of our plans, then we will surely labor in vain. And so we want to involve the Lord from the beginning, from the outset. We want to base what we do upon the Word of God, and the Lord will be our strength. Psalms 127 and verse 3 to f and verse 5, it says, Children are a heritage of the Lord. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. And then Psalm 128 and verse 3, Thy wife shall be a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. 
Thy children like olive plants round about thy, thy table. These two scriptures paint for us, you, we could say, uh, an image of what God, or how God views the family. And uh, we can see that it's, it's a blessing. It's, it's something fruitful. It's something beautiful. It's something good. And I say that to say in this day and age that we live in today, we can find that family sometimes can be frowned upon, frowned upon in our society. Um, it may be because people see the inconvenience of having a family. Imagine having five kids. Um, the things you can't do because you're constantly housebound or you're constantly disciplining and raising them. And so in our society today, there's a push away from big families and a push for even, even no kids. There's talk about suburbs where there's no children allowed. It's adults-only suburbs. Um, and that's how selfish our society has become. And so on top of that, we find that there's families who've had maybe bad experiences in their own upbringing. Maybe they've had um, or they've experienced neglect or abuse um, or step-parents and, and, and so on and so forth. And so these individuals don't want to go down that same experience in their own life, and so they steer well away from family. So we can find that family can be tarnished um, in this world's view, but from God's perspective, family is something that is wonderful, and it is something that is a blessing, and the scripture says it's a heritage of the Lord, and it says, happy is the man that has his quiver full of them, full of, full of children. If you've got many children, you should be happy. You shouldn't be sad, but you should be glad. And so the first thing we must understand is family is a blessing from God. Um, the question we need to ask is, well, what, is, what does it look like? Um, what does a godly family look like? So... Every single family will experience joy and struggle, difficulty and, and pleasure. Um, and very often when we start a family, we have this Instagram image of how a family should look. And so we want to have a perfect family. Everyone wants to strive to have this perfect family. And everyone is quickly disappointed because there is no such thing as a perfect family. It's just something that exists in Instagram. The perfect family doesn't exist. And we can look through the Word of God and we'll find that even the patriarchs and even the, the heroes of faith didn't have the perfect family. And so rather than striving for the perfect family, as Christians we need to strive for what is a healthy family. A healthy family. Because a healthy family will have its ups and its downs, It'll still have the highs and the lows, but a healthy family can still thrive through all of that. It can still come out the other end and be standing strong upon the rock of God's Word. And so we want to have a healthy family. The prophet Samuel, he said in 1 Samuel chapter 12 and 23, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. So the prophet Samuel considered it a sin not to pray for his family. 
And so prayer has to be one of the founding principles, one of the things that we are continually doing for our children, praying for them. And it's amazing how we can go through life trying to raise them in our own strength, doing everything you know, we can, but we don't pray for them. But we ought to be praying for them. Job said, early will I rise up and offer burnt offering for each of his children. For Job said, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. And as the scripture says, this became Job's regular practice. He would offer sacrifice on behalf of his children. And so there's a, a big part that we get to play in raising our kids. Um, and it's a partnership with God. It's a partnership with God. So the first thing I want to share is that kids need unconditional love. Unconditional love. I remember when I had my firstborn, I was quite naive, of course, we all are. And I remember thinking, I should be able to just instruct my child, tell them what to do, give them time to absorb it, and they should follow through. It should be tickety-boo, of course. Did that happen? It didn't happen. And what it did was it just created a source of frustration and a source of angst because my kids weren't capable of following instruction. Now, some of you are probably shaking your head and thinking, and that's the single people because you haven't been there. But um, when you're there, you realize there's a method. And, um, and unconditional love is the first part. Unconditional love starts with both parents committing to raising that child to the best of their ability. We never want to enter into um, a family without both parents being on board. With one parent being on board, it's not going to work. It's going to be a struggle. Um, and so you need both parents on board. We're going to have children and we're going to raise them together. And, um, and, and God is going to be the foundation. Unconditional love. Um, is something that looks like patience, teaching instead of telling, encouragement, lifting them up when they fall. Because how we treat our children will result in how they believe or what they believe about themselves. There's a poem by somebody called Dorothy Law Nolt called Children Learn What They Live. And it's on the screen. It says, if a child learns, uh, lives with criticism, he learns to condemn. If a child lives with hostility, he learns to fight. If a child lives with ridicule, he learns to be shy. And if a child lives with shame, he learns to feel guilty. If a child lives with tolerance, he learns to be patient. And if a child lives with encouragement, he learns confidence. If a child lives with praise, he learns to appreciate if a child lives with fairness, he learns justice. If a child lives with security, he learns to have faith. If a child lives with, the, with approval, he learns to like himself. And if a child lives with acceptance and friendship, he learns to find love in the world. And so how we raise our children is very, very important because it affects their development right up into adulthood. It's not just something that... Um, that uh, we do to get them through their, their youth, but it's something that will affect them for the rest of their lives. And 
So the question is, how do we find strength to raise children the right way? Because we can have head knowledge, but how to put that in the practice is not always easy. And so the best way is to go back to our own relationship with God. Recognize how God fathers you. Psalms 103 and verse 13 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So our Heavenly Father has compassion on us in our weaknesses. He's patient with us in our stubbornness. He promises never to leave us nor forsake us, in spite of our sin. And when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And so he sets the tone for our relationship with our own children. And this is something that we can draw upon and find strength from in our relationship with our kids. We should do that. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 and 5, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. And it says, by grace, we've been saved by faith. There's a lot of room for grace in our in our parenting of our kids, and mercy and great love. And Matthew 7 and 11, it says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? So God, he's not out to ridicule us or condemn us or harm us, but God's desire is to bless us because we're his beloved children. And so our, our approach to our children is the same. It says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So let me also say that unconditional love must include discipline. It must include discipline. They go hand in hand. And this is a part of parenting many don't like or many disagree on and many ignore. But the fact is, God doesn't want spoiled brats representing him on this earth, does he? And the scripture tells us that he chastises us. And so in the same way, chastising our children or disciplining our children is a healthy thing. Charles Spurgeon actually said, if we never have headaches through rebuking our children, we shall have plenty of headaches when they grow older. And Proverbs 29 and verse 15, it says, To discipline a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. And so we need to discipline our kids. There's a story about a young girl who, whose parents let her do anything that she wanted. They'd let her stay up at night, hang out with whoever she pleased with, and do anything she so desired. And many of her friends thought that she had the best parents in the world because they were so kind and seemingly generous toward her. But the truth of the matter was this young girl felt completely unloved. It wasn't that her parents gave her too much liberty, but it was because they really didn't care enough to set boundaries in her life. And she longed for someone to tell her what she could and what she couldn't do, simply so that she knew they cared. And so boundaries subconsciously teach our children that we care for them. Naturally, our kids, you know, they buck and they carry on and they, they fight against us when we set boundaries in our life, but subconsciously, they know that's because mom cares and that's because dad cares. And that's what they need and that's what they, they really want. 
And that comes through discipline. Hebrews 12 and verse 6, it says, For he whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So chastening and discipline, it encourages good behavior and discourages bad behavior. It teaches our kids what right is and what wrong is. And um, Hebrews 12 and verse 11, it tells us that chastening seems, or no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. And so when we discipline our kids, yeah, it seems tough. And our kids would would uh, testify to that. You're being unreasonable. You're being unfair. But the scripture tells us, and that's what we're founding our, our family upon. It says it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. However, I do want to say that there is a right way to discipline our kids, and there is a wrong way to discipline. You know, we never want to discipline our kids when we're in the heat of the moment and all we want to do is, 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 you know, give them a good hard whack. Because that whack can sometimes turn into a lot more than a whack when you're in the heat of the moment. Sometimes it's better just to step aside and cool off and go and talk to them. Go and explain when you're, you've calmed down. We don't vent our frustration and anger upon them in the heat of the moment. In other words, we're not, sh- we're not beating them. We're not showing them um, who's the boss. But discipline is something that we do to instruct them. When we have that, that mindset, we recognize that we're actually teaching them. This is an opportunity to teach my child, not to teach them a lesson and, about who's boss, but to teach them right from wrong. If we have that mindset when we go to discipline our child, we quickly change from anger to opportunity. My child has done that again. And I'm furious because I've already told them. But it's an opportunity to teach them. How can I teach them? And that's something that you know, we have to grow to learn. It's an opportunity to discipline, to teach them. And it's often balanced with um, encouragement. It's often balanced with, um, how do we say, Um, with some tenderness. You know, if we constantly discipline, but we don't also involve tenderness, it breeds resentment. And it can bring distance between you and your child. And so it's very important to use that opportunity to discipline, to teach them, and then to restore them. And that's something that I've had to learn through the years. It's, it's something that um, is only going to bless our kids because they, they need to be taught and then they need to be brought back into the fold, as it were, because they will often feel outside of the family, outside of your love, if you don't bring them back. So discipline, there's a right and a wrong way. Discipline is very important. The second thing I want to just move along a bit quicker is we need to be prepared to sacrifice. When we have children, we get, re- we get used to sacrifice. 
When we're single, we please one person, ourselves. When we're married, we please our wives, husbands. <laughs> um, when we have kids, we learn all about sacrifice. So sacrifice is something that at first it seems a little bit difficult because life no longer revolves about what you want around what you want. It revolves around the whole. Um, John 15 and verse 13, it says, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And this scripture is very familiar to us, and of course it's speaking about the love of Christ. But it's teaching us a principle, that we lay down our life for those we love, our friends, our family. And so it's all for one and one for all. And mothers do this every time they forego sleep to feed a crying baby or where they put their careers on hold to change nappies and wash clothes. We throw away our perfect routines for unplanned spontaneity, such as vomit on your shirt on the way to church. Anyone testify or anyone, anyone ever experienced that? Yeah, you can't plan enough. Someone said no matter how many plans you make or how much in control you are, you're always winging it with kids. Anything can happen. We give up our privacy. Kids will follow you everywhere you go. You don't shower alone anymore. You share the toilet with your kids. You share your bed with your kids. Privacy is something that's long gone. And, um, and kids will often share things that you've said to people who you don't want them to hear it. Privacy, thing of the past. I actually cut somebody off at McDonald's, I confess, once, just a, a month or so ago, in a drive-thru. It was a merging lane, and, and I didn't realize they were coming forward just as I was coming forward, so I just got in front of them. And they tooted their horn and carried on, and my son looked at them, and then he looked at me, and he said, Dad, you're naughty. <laughs> and I said, I didn't know she was coming. He said, she's tooting, she's so mad at you. And I said, I can't do anything, I'm already here. And I tried to explain it. And, um, and the thing was, I thought we'd kind of sorted it out, and it was done and dusted, but he keeps raising it with people all the time. And I'm thinking, Daniel, shh, you know that was an accident. But that's what kids do. And so kids will, will do all sorts of <laughs> unpredictable things. Um, we end up giving so much time to our kids that when we finally get some me time, we feel guilty for it. I had some gelato yesterday with my sister and my brother and my kids weren't with me. I felt very guilty. I thought, my son and my daughter should be here. This doesn't feel right. Of course, I still had it and enjoyed it, though. <laughs> Those opportunities don't come very often. So um, we give up even our friends. You know, we have single friends before we're married. We get married. Our friends invite us out. Well, we, we can't go out a lot of the time. Our kids are sick or, um, you know, something else has come up. And so our friends stop inviting us and, and this divide starts to grow between our married friends and our single friends and, and life changes and they become just another name on a Christmas card. 
<laughs> it's terrible, but it's true. And so, of course, kids destroy our, our valuables. You know, nothing's sacred. Um, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith. And he's worse than an unbeliever. And so we have a responsibility to provide for our family. Um, sacrifice teaches us something about our own parents too. Because not everything to do with raising kids is, is, in sacrifice is bad. It teaches us uh, a whole new appreciation for what our parents went through. And our parents didn't have uh, mobile phones. They didn't have disposable nappies. They didn't have microwaves necessarily or... or um, a lot of the luxuries that we have today, and when we think about the sacrifice that they went through to raise us, my dad raised three kids on his own under the age of five for many years. And um, I, you know, when you're young, you don't appreciate that. Even I remember as a teenager, me and my brother, we thought, dad doesn't do anything for us. And uh, as an adult, you realize uh, that's so wrong, so wrong, so wrong. And you get this appreciation of, of what it takes to raise kids. There's a blessing to be found in relating to other parents who are doing it tough, in empathizing with their challenges and experiences. So sacrifice is not just a word to represent our self-denial, but it's, it's a gift with many rewards. And of course, sacrifice, it teaches our children uh, what it is to be selfless, to work hard and to have good character. And very often these are things that are only taught through example and through experience. And so every time we do sacrifice, it's showing our kids what it is, um, uh, you know, to be a responsible parent. And they're invaluable moments. The third thing is it, we should enjoy the moments. Enjoy the moments of raising your children. Sometimes we get so busy um, doing the day-to-day -day things, getting them dressed, getting them fed, getting them to school on time, and that we don't enjoy the moments with our kids. Someone said, the days are long, but the years are short. And very often, yeah, you're so busy with your children, and the days seem so long, but before you know it, their childhood's passed. And they're 18 or 20 and they're driving and independent and they don't need mom and dad quite so much anymore. And, um, and you realize, wow, have I enjoyed them? Or just have I just got by with them? And so we want to enjoy the moments. And Ecclesiastes 5.18, it says, Here is what I've seen to be good and fitting to eat and to drink and to enjoy oneself and one's labor in which he labors under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. That's a, you know, children are a heritage from the, uh, from the Lord, and, and it says, happy is he who has his quiver, quiver full. We're, we're to be happy, we're to enjoy uh, the blessing of, of God, and children are a blessing, and they're part of that. And Psalm 90 and verse 12 says, teach me to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let's be aware of the days. If we never stop to enjoy our kids, we miss the experience. It's like going to 
movie world and sitting outside the park while your kids go and enjoy the rides and then taking them home again. We miss the experience of raising the children, seeing their joys and seeing their experiences. And so we must make quality moments out of our quality time. Practice mindfulness, the practice of tuning in to what our kids are doing. Sometimes it just means putting the music off in the car and actually having a conversation with our children. Um, So we need to create opportunities. We need to set some, maybe some routines in our life. We We used to have Friday night, special night. And every Friday night, we do something with the kids. Might be a board game, might be a movie, the kids choose. And, uh, and that was a routine that we had. Um, perhaps Saturday night could be cooking night. It could be a time where you make pizza or you make pancakes. Sunday could be an opportunity for a picnic. But we need to set these, these occasions into our daily or weekly routine so that we get to enjoy our kids. So life with kids is not about enduring the years until they finally leave home. It's not about having them live in their bedrooms until dinner time and then sending them back after dinner. But it's about enjoying them. And so the things that we often cry about today, we will laugh about tomorrow. Sometimes we can become very precious about our things. And so a lot of that is, a lot of enjoying our kids comes down to expectations. Yes, they will scratch the car, and yes, they will mess up their rooms over and over again, and yes, they will do things that disappoint us, but we have to set our expectations a bit lower. As I said at the outset, my first child, my expectations were just unrealistic. So we need realistic expectations. And the things we do cry about today, we will laugh about tomorrow. But soon those opportunities will be gone. And it's interesting, I have five kids, as I said, and sometimes, you know, four of them might be out, maybe even five, and it's dead quiet in the house. Yes, the house is clean and tidy, but you realize how much you miss the noise, you miss the disruption, Ruth probably wouldn't agree with me, but because she likes a clean house. <laughs> no, I think she would, she would agree, actually. But, um, yeah, enjoy them. Enjoy them, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Fourth thing I want to mention is make time for your spouse. And Solomon 2 and verse 2 to 3 says, Like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Like an apple tree among the tree of, wood, of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. This is a scripture that reflects how we feel about our better half when we uh, first come together. And um, very often when kids come along, things become a lot more stressed. And um, we don't often give ourselves the time that we need to build that relationship. And so ultimately we must respect each other first and foremost. Before kids came, it was just, you know, you and me, me and you. And after kids leave, it'll just be you and me and me and you. And so what we do in those years of raising kids and how we build and cultivate that relationship is very, very important because 
We don't want to one day look at each other when the kids all leave home and think, who are you? You know? And that's, that's a real possibility because we get so caught up with the day-to-day that we can neglect each other and neglect our relationships. So we need to work together as a team. Ephesians 5, verse 22, and also verse 25 says, Husband, uh, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. This is the biblical model for the family in a nutshell. Wives are to submit to the husbands, and husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. This is a model that we need at all times. Very often, you know, when we have maybe trouble in our relationship, we think, ah, let's go away on a holiday, or let's go and go out to dinner, or let's go to a movie and uh, find some temporary, temporary relief. And uh, sure, you may get some temporary relief, but you've got to come back. And the kids are still there, and the stress is still there. But this little model, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives, meets the needs of both parties. Husbands want to be respected, and wives want to be loved. And if we can just get that right throughout every day of our marriage, we're going to do pretty good at the end of it. But if we mess that up, and we start focusing on other things or focusing on ourselves or we allow our ego and our pride to kind of become bigger than uh, it should be, we will struggle. And so the question is, what does this look like? And this is where sometimes it can be difficult because husbands don't always know what it is to really love their wives. They think, well, I'm working. I I pay for the the bills and I, I do this and I do that financially. That's showing my love, but she wants affection, and she wants your time and your ear. You know, sometimes it's the little things. Ruth will come to me and say, I've got this problem. It's X, Y, and Z, and I'll say, oh, you just need to, and she'll go, don't tell me how to fix it. I just want you to listen and be aware of my problem. It doesn't make sense to me, but it makes a lot of sense to her, and so I just, okay, Okay, I'll listen. Tell me about the problem. (laughs) And uh, wives, they just want to feel loved and heard. And the wife will say, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I'm I'm showing him affection. I'm telling him how much I love him. And he just seems so distant. But maybe she's, she's doubting his judgment. Maybe she's undermining the authority. And, and that shows disrespect to him. And so we've got to know how to meet each other's needs. It's very important. So we are both responsible in the marriage to do our part. And no one needs to settle for a marriage that is less than what God intends for us to have. God's got a perfect plan for the marriage relationship. But if we play our part correctly in accordance with his word, it will be blessed. And, um, you know, I can talk about all the different periods in a marriage, but time doesn't allow So we'll just skip all that. (laughs) But um, I want to go to the last point, which is take time or take them with you in your walk with God. This is so important, and this is probably one of the most important things that we can can do in in our raising of kids. Ephesians 5 and verse 31 says, For this reason a man shall... Oh, sorry. 
let me skip that scripture. Psalms 145, verse 3 to 4. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Our greatest mission field is in our homes. It's our children. We see them day in, day out. We, we are in constant contact with them. Um, we're liaising with them, in other words. All the time, they are right before us. And sometimes we can get blinded by the fact that they need the Lord just as much as anyone else out there in this world does. And just because they're raised in a Christian home doesn't mean they're going to adopt all of the Christian beliefs that we have and we hold to. But we need to cultivate that in them. And we need to uh, set boundaries in their lives and set routines in their lives that will support a relationship with God. And so this treasure that we have is in our hands, but we need to pass it down to the next generation. Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He didn't just say, as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. What my kids do is up to them. They need to make their own choice. He didn't say that. But he was intent. My household is coming with me in this journey. And so when we raise our kids, we bring them along. Pharaoh tried to negotiate with Moses to go and worship his God alone. Just the men. Let them go out and worship your God. But leave your women and children behind. But Moses refused. He said, no. My women, the, the women and the children come with us and our belongings. And we've got to sometimes get that stubbornness in our heart and say, my children are coming with me in this journey. I'm not leaving them behind. I'm going to make sure that they're a part of everything that I do in my living for God. And so the Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse 6, train up a child in the way which he go, should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is something we have to be diligent about. And we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto your children. You shall talk of them when thou sittest down and when thou walkest in the way, when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. It's basically telling us that in everything that we do in life, we're to teach our kids. In everything, we teach them about the Lord. We teach them about his goodness. We share the testimonies we have with them. Not just the one-off testimony of how he came to know God, but the testimony of his provision this last week. The testimony of what he's done just yesterday. We want them to know that God is very real and very tangible and he's a, he's a big part of our lives. And so we bring them along in the journey. The kind of person we are at home sets the example for your child to follow in their life. And sometimes we think that we can leave it to the Sunday school teachers or the Christian education system, but ultimately we set the example. They will follow us more than I'll follow another. And so what we do at home must 
align to what we say and must align to what we are like in church. We've got to be a Christian in the house of God and outside of the house of God. And very often what they see in us is what they call their norm. And that will be their norm when they become adults. That will be their expectation when they're having their own families. And so it's so important that we set that in place, our example, we set that in place and we make sure that our kids see that. We live our faith before them. We live our faith before them. And we could say, you could say, we live our faith out loud. Loving the Lord with all our heart, soul and mind and strength. And so in time, the blessing is they will too have their experience with God. By establishing good habits, by establishing good practices and routines in their life, there'll come a point where they'll have their own experience, when they'll be filled with the Spirit of God, when they'll be reading their Bible, not because you've told them, but because they want to read it. You know, they're worshipping and lifting their hands in service, not because, you know, they've been pressured to, but because they want to worship Him. And that's the blessing, the greatest blessing for any parent is to see their child develop that relationship with God, the same God that you serve, that they come to know him themselves. That is our end game, you know, that is greater than having a fantastic education, that's greater than having all the money in the world, it's having that walk with God. And so we want that for them more than anything else. And so if the musicians will come, as I bring it to a close, Isaiah 54 and verse 13, it says, And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. We want, ultimately, God to be the teacher of our kids. We want God to be the one who is leading them and guiding them and directing them. We know the Holy Spirit is a teacher. And the kids, our kids, can be led and and taught by the Holy Spirit. And so it comes down to training them, loving them and disciplining them in their childhood. Very often our greatest challenge in our life is our children. But our greatest reward is also our children. And it means if we stand this morning, it means, why don't we stand, putting in the spiritual investment into our children. The five points today were unconditional love, sacrifice, enjoying the moments, making time for your spouse, and then taking our children with us in our walk with God. This morning, we're all in different walks, different places in our walk with God, and Some of us have kids, some of us don't have kids, some of us maybe haven't even thought about children. But these are all things that we can all adopt, regardless of where we are in life. Maybe some of us have kids that have already grown up, but we still have input into their life. We still have an influence in their life. And so we're gonna worship the Lord this morning but there's an opportunity to come and to 
consecrate and commit yourself and to commit your own children to the Lord. Whether in your seat or whether at the front here, it's a good opportunity right now just to commit them before the Lord and, and to give them back to Him again and to say, Lord, I'm a steward of these children. You've got plans and you've got a purpose for each one. And so, Lord, guide me, lead me, help me. Amen. So let's worship Him this morning.